If you've been with us since the beginning of the year, you'll know that we've uh, been working our way through the book of Luke. And over Easter, we've jumped uh, ahead a bit and skipped to the Easter story. As we go into May, we'll be heading back again and picking up where we, we left off and continuing through Luke. We'll, we'll still be looking at the book through the lens of the word sota, a word used to, to describe Jesus as both a healer and also a saviour. For, for Luke, Jesus wasn't just some healer man with great powers, but he was also the saviour promised by God to the Israelites long ago. In the word sota, the two are one, indistinguishable from the other. Jesus' mission was to heal and to save. And that is still Jesus' mission today. And it's his church that is the vessel in which this is accomplished. Over the weeks, we've laid out the case showing that Jesus was more than just an ordinary man, more than just a great teacher, more than a prophet, The evidence points to Jesus being the Son of God, the Messiah. And last week we celebrated Easter. Through Easter we see the culmination of Jesus' ministry here on earth. He is the promised one of God who willingly allows himself to be crucified as a sacrifice to to pay the wage of our lives. Paul writes in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. A wage is something that is owed, a salary for a job done. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So that wage that each of us is due is death. Yet Romans 6.23 finishes, but the gift of God is eternal life. A gift is something that is freely given. And because Jesus died on the cross, because God himself died on the cross, we are able to receive freely the gift of eternal life. Through his life, Jesus brings healing and hope, and in his death, salvation and joy. At Easter, Jesus accomplishes in full his mission, dying on the cross and raised to life again. But that isn't where the story finishes, is it? It isn't where it ends. And here in our passage today, we see the first glimpses of what the early church is going to be like. We see what is becoming the start of God's church on earth. But at the very start, just like we often do, they completely miss what Jesus had come to do. They completely miss who Jesus was. They missed it after spending so many years with him. And our story starts with a journey home. Dejected, disappointed and giving up. We join two of Jesus' followers on the road to Emmaus. If you've got Bibles, you might want to turn to Luke chapter 24. And we're starting at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, 
Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going on further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. <coughs> Father God, we, uh, we pray now that you would come and speak through your word. This word that was written, this word that was inspired, this word that is alive. Would you come and speak to our hearts, to our minds, and would you burn within us? Amen. So the crucifixion has happened. Good Friday is over. Jesus had been arrested and sentenced to death on a cross. He died a traitor's death and was buried in a borrowed tomb. Easter Sunday comes and some of the women who followed him go to anoint his body in the tomb. But when they arrive, they find the tomb empty. What happened? Where has he gone? Who has taken him? Bodies don't usually just get up and walk off, do they? They've already done so much to him. They beat him, they whipped him, they killed him. In death, can they not just leave him alone? Then, 
Two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He has risen. The women run back to the disciples and tell them of what they witnessed. Yet they did not believe them. We've met these women before. Do you remember Jesus went to dinner with a Pharisee? A religious leader who wanted to quiz Jesus and find out who this new celebrity really was. Afterwards, we're told of Mary and Joanna. They have been with Jesus for a while. They followed him right until the end. They run back to the house where the disciples are. Note in verses 9. Uh, that verse 9 of chapter 24, just a little bit before our reading, that the 11 disciples, as Judas has now gone, along with all the others, were gathered together. How many others? We don't know. But Jesus had many followers, and they have come together after these traumatic days to find some meaning, some purpose in what has happened. Jesus, in their minds, was never meant to die He was meant to be their king. He was meant to be their liberator, their redeemer. They are downheartened. They are confused. They don't know what to do. They don't know what the future holds. People often get together when they're grieving, don't they? When a loved one dies, a family member, family and friends come together to comfort one another to shoulder the pain together. You see, we're people that are created for relationships, so it's natural that when we're at our most vulnerable, we want to come together. When there is a a national tragedy, people gather together. You just have to look at when there is a state funeral. Do you remember the crowds who descended on London when Princess Diana died? People felt that just, they just had to go. They just had to go and pay their respects. They just had to go and be together. You may have been one of them. You may have gone. There is something about being amongst people, being amongst each other, who are also feeling the same way that we do. It could be a celebrity that's died. When Steve Jobs died, one of the founders of the computer giant Apple, thousands of people descended upon Apple stores around the world to pay their respects and to mourn. It was the church of Steve Jobs. It was the church of Apple. So it's completely natural to find the disciples all gathered together here in chapter 24 of Luke. They're supporting one another. They're crying together. They're probably shouting at each other, saying, no, he said this, but why did this? He's gone. They're confused. They're afraid. They wonder if they're going to be next. What if the authorities come for them? Could they go the same way as Jesus? They had forgotten all that they heard. And in their panic and distress, they forgot that Jesus had told them that this would happen. Or if they hadn't forgotten, they hadn't understood what Jesus was talking about in the first place. This brings us nicely to verse 13, where today's passage starts. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. 
that same day. Not a couple of days later, or when they knew their friends were okay, but that same day, at least two. We don't know about anybody else who might have left the house and started heading home as well. What was their reason for leaving? Maybe it was fear, as we've just said. They could have been thinking, it could be us next. We're told Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem, so it's not far. Maybe they're thinking if they can only get home, they will be safe. Or perhaps they think there is no point hanging around anymore. They had followed Jesus around for a while, but now they've been let down. They pin their hopes in Jesus, but once again, someone has come along claiming to be the Messiah, and we believed him, only to discover he's like the rest. But even more so as he's gone and got himself crucified. When I was uh, starting out in ministry, I was mentored by the minister at one of the churches I was working at. And one of the conditions of my placement there, uh, part of my university degree, was that I had regular line manager meetings with him. And uh, every fortnight we would meet together to reflect on the experiences of the weeks before. The times uh, meeting with him that stand out to me most are when we would walk around the estate the church was on. For some reason, walking provided a better opportunity to talk out the issues, feelings and thoughts that I'd had about my work. We're told in verse 14 that our two disciples are talking as they walk. They are talking about everything that has happened. They are trying to make sense of it all. And sometimes a good walk is the best way to do that. Sometimes walking and talking out loud the issues of life with one another helps us to work them out. Sometimes we don't realise is that we're actually not walking alone when we do that. We believe as Christians that wherever we go, we carry the Holy Spirit with us. We believe that each human being is a temple for the Holy Spirit and that at Easter, the temple curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world was torn in two and there is no separation between God and humanity anymore. All can come before God. When we walk and talk, we carry the Holy Spirit with us. But how often do we recognise him speaking into our conversations as we go? Our two disciples are walking and talking and when suddenly a third person joins them on the road. Did he catch up with them from a distance behind or did he just literally appear next to them? We don't know. But we do know from verse 16 that they didn't realise it was Jesus. They were kept from recognising him. The word kept there is important as it implies there is something or someone that won't allow them to recognise that it's Jesus in front of them. It could be that Jesus doesn't want to reveal who he, who he himself is as it might frighten them right away at the beginning. As far as they're concerned, he's dead. You don't often see the dead walking along the road to Emmaus. But Jesus doesn't just jump out at them. Surprise! <laughs> it's me, I'm alive. What do you mean you weren't expecting me? I told you I was going to be raised again. He doesn't do that either. <laughs> he talks with them. And he helps them to see who he really is. But he doesn't just make them feel better about themselves. He doesn't just tell them it's going to be okay. Life is going to be okay. Everything is fine. 
Jesus isn't some residential youth camp counsellor. He isn't the HR department. He's not there to make them feel better. He's not there to sort out their issues. Jesus opens his Bible in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them who he was. And what the scriptures said concerning himself. So now there is, there is a time for talking. There, there really is. There is a time actually when counselling is, is vitally important. I'll always say that. I'll always point people towards counselling when they need it. When I return to work from, from being sick, um, I refer myself to counselling for a period to talk through my experiences. If you're going through life and there are things that are eating away at you or you know you need some help with them, don't suffer in silence, but get the help you need. But there are times as well when the help we need has to come directly from the Word of God. The Bible is a living book. It is given to us in order that we might know Jesus better, might know his story better, might know our own lives better. Jesus opens up his family history And starting with Moses, he shows these two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus that he is the new Moses, sent to lead his people out of exile and into freedom. He speaks of the prophets and all that was foretold about him and his life. He shows that he is the new Elijah. He is the high priest and prophet that the people have been watching out for. Family trees, they're they're interesting things. You suddenly realise that you're made up of all sorts of people. Some you wouldn't expect to find there, perhaps. There was this video going around Facebook a few years back where an experiment was undertaken. A group of people were asked to, uh, to say where they, where they came from, uh, what their national uh, heritage was. And then through a DNA test, uh, scientists looked at various markers and were able to tell them where they were actually from by looking at their history of their DNA. One guy was uh, certain that he had always... Uh, been in the UK that his family had grown up in in Britain and in the video he had on an England shirt at the time and uh, he found out he was a descendant from Germans he was a little shocked a lady who was born in Brazil discovered she had ancestry from Iceland the biggest shock was that for another lady um, she discovered that she had a distant cousin actually sat in the room who she had no idea about My point is that when we look back, we're truly able to look forward. Jesus was looking back at the story to that point. He was able to show the two disciples how everything that had happened in the last few days had been written hundreds and thousands of years before. He was able to point out that there was hope, which, if what had been foretold had come to pass, what Jesus has also said about himself would also come to pass. We need to look at the past to know what we're coming from. But we also need to see what we're going into. The disciples were uncertain, but Jesus was showing them that they could be certain in the promises he made to them. But Jesus also gave them a choice. In verse 28, we're told that as they approached the village, Jesus acted as if he was going on further. Jesus doesn't suppose that the disciples want to continue the conversation. We're told in verse 32 that when they thought back to their journey, they remembered feeling something stir within them, like a memory, an excitement, an anticipation. I wonder if one of the reasons Jesus didn't reveal himself was to give the disciples the opportunity 
to make the decision to invite him in themselves. In verse 29, the disciples urged him strongly, stay with us. And Jesus accepted. It's the same with us. If you've been asked questions about, if you've been asking questions about Jesus, you've been coming along to this church thing for a while, but haven't really made up your mind. Perhaps you've even asked Jesus to reveal himself to you, but you've been left wondering if he has or he hasn't. Perhaps you're just unsure about this whole Christian thing. You see the good in it, but you see how the supposed relationship of others here with Jesus makes them happy. But you want to know what you need to do in order to get it yourself. You're asking where to sign on the line. Well, what do I need to pay? The answer is written in verse 29. They invited him in. They invited Jesus in to stay with them. That's the beauty of the Christian life. It's not through any deeds of our own, not through any works. Because as we said at the beginning, works deserve wages. But through inviting Jesus into our lives, we are accepted. We are accepting the gift that is freely given to us. Do you know Christ as your saviour, as your healer, as your friend? Do you need to invite him in today? But what happens when you invite him in, you ask? Well, let's look at verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. They've been travelling for quite a while and they are hungry, so they eat. In normal custom, it would be the host who would serve their guests. But Jesus does something different. He gives thanks, then takes bread and passes it out to them. They remember what Jesus did at the Last Supper. What we do at communion to remember what Jesus did. Broken bread, wine poured out. Jesus instituted the remembrance as a way of reminding his followers who he was and what he was going to do, what he has done. And instantly they recognised who he was. Verse 31, and he vanished from before them. They invited him into their homes, into their lives, and Jesus became the host. He became the one who lived there. When we invite Jesus into our lives, we invite him to be the host, the master of our lives, the master of our house, the one who dwells there and calls it home. And we carry him with us through the Holy Spirit and he nourishes our souls. How do you respond to the risen Jesus living in you? How do you respond to the host of your life? For our two disciples, there is only one response. To go and tell others. They can't keep hold of this new information. They can't keep hold of what they have. They need to go and tell the other disciples about it. So they at once return to Jerusalem. Another seven mile walk on foot. They go straight to the house and find them all assembled there together still. Trying to work out what on earth they are supposed to do. And they tell them what happened. They tell them about their experience of Jesus. This is the only response to meeting Jesus. It's the only response that we can make to go and tell others. 
How can we keep it to ourselves? How dare we keep it to ourselves? One of the main reasons we started the community fair is that we wanted the opportunity in the year for us all to come together and show the community they are loved. But we also want to tell them they are loved. Tell them about Jesus. If we don't tell them, they will never know. That's why this year in particular, we want to make an effort from the front to give testimony, to share a story of how we encountered Jesus on the road that is our lives. Maybe one of you could do that. Maybe one of you could share your story on this stage to people as they're sipping their tea, drinking their coffee. It needs to come from you, not just me. (laughs) Not just the staff team or the church leaders. It's, It's all of us. Are you up for it? Because you have a story with Jesus. You've been on a journey with Jesus. Are you up for sharing what Jesus has done? Are you brave enough to ask someone if they want to know who Jesus is? Because the next verse that comes after our set passage for this morning. Verse 36 is amazing. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. While the two disciples were still talking, what happens? Jesus appears and starts speaking. See, Jesus never left them. Jesus is with them. And he's right there in the room. What have we already said about the Holy Spirit living in us? Where we go, there he is also. When we start talking to people about Jesus, he is right there with us. And his words to us and to those we have with us are, peace be with you. Here's what it comes down to. For those of you who don't know Jesus yet, please invite him in. It really is the best decision that you will ever make. And for those of you who already know him, let's go out together and tell those who don't. Because he has paid their wages and he's offering them a gift but they don't know it yet. And they need to be told. And they need to be shown. Watch the screen for a few moments.
We're going to come and worship God again. If the band would like to join us on the stage, we're going to. We're